if you weren't here with us last week, uh, please, I encourage you to jump on YouTube and go back and watch that, because there'll be certain things that I just won't have time to go back into context today, but if you go back and listen to that, it will help with the context. But it is, it is up there on the YouTube channel. Good, Luke 14, starting at verse 25. We'll read the whole verse again, just so we get the context. Now a great crowd accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? However, <coughs> excuse me, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not, not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great far off, he sends a delegation and asks them for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile is thrown away, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you not only for the wonderful gift of your word and the truth that is contained within your word, but Lord, we thank you so much that we have the incredible gift and privilege to be able to have direct relationship with you through your son's act on the cross. So Lord, this morning as we continue to look at this passage, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive who it is you need to speak to each of us about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus has given these first two conditions of discipleship to the crowd that are following him and he challenges them to consider the cost of following him wisely before they choose to follow and we looked at these two conditions last week don't, don't know, did we? what was the first condition? what was the first condition? The first prerequisites that we looked at. In a nutshell, you must hate all those whom you hold dear. 
even yourself before you can be a disciple of mine. Pretty harsh words, but as we, if you remember, when we broke this down, Jesus didn't literally mean you must hate all those who you love. The Greek rendering of that does mean to love less. It's the point that we are to make sure that Christ is above all other people in our life. Now that is the first prerequisite that we looked at. Who can remember the second? Shout it. Pick up your cross. Yeah, you must be willing to take up your own cross. Come after me. Before you can be my disciple. And when we looked at this, you remember that we often don't necessarily fully understand the gravity of what that means in our day and age, in our society. To us, it's this, you know, we see the cross as this, this symbol of, of hope and of love for what Christ did for us. But to the Jew, back in the first century, they would have understood this quite differently. Because to them, the cross was an instrument of death. That was what its purpose was for. But Jesus is saying, you must be willing, if you come after me, in our context, to be ridiculed by those around you, potentially be disowned by your families, and also the potential of losing your life for my namesake, as we know many Christians around the world still do today. Jesus then moves on and he helps the crowd in their understanding by sharing these two illustrations as we just read. The man who builds the tower but he first sits down and considers whether he can finish it and the king facing those overwhelming odds. But today we are now going to focus in on this third and final condition in this section of Jesus' teaching which is found in verse 33. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he, she, they have, has, uh, uh, has, cannot be my disciple. As we put on the screen there, you must be willing. You must be willing, it's a choice to renounce all that you have before you can be Jesus' disciple. Now, if I was to ask the average Christian, now I know there are some super-Christians out there, okay, who everything they do in life is just super-holy, okay, but if I was to ask the average Christian in the UK what, what they sacrifice for Jesus on a week-by-week Basis. I wonder what they would say. I wonder if you would hear such things as, well, I've given up playing my favourite sport on Sunday to come to church. Cricket, golf, whatever, whatever it might be, rugby, football. I've, I've sacrificed that to be able to come to church. Maybe you would hear them say, well, I give, I give my tithes, I give offerings to the work of the church, I could have taken that money and went into town and bought clothes or whatever, 
to sacrifice that so that I can give it to the Lord. I serve in a ministry at church. I work long hours. I would rather not serve in ministry, but I give up my time. It's a sacrifice for me. Maybe it's I give to the homeless who I walk past on my way through Oxford or London, wherever you may work. These are all good. They are good. They are noble, and we should never see them or view them as being a chore in our Christian walk or a burden upon us. But to some, these are more than enough sacrifice that they would really want to give. I've done my bit for the kingdom today. That's, a, that's one that I've heard often. Well, I've done my bit for the kingdom. Most of the time in a, in a tongue-in-cheek type way. But the, 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 the mindset is behind it. But we need to understand that all of these Christian actions, and many more that I didn't mention, are just the foundation of the attitude to life we are expected to have as disciples of Jesus. Now, to understand the, the, the extent of Jesus' challenge here in this third condition, um, for those uh, who want to be his disciples throughout time, we need to understand our terms. And this is key. You've got to remember this. To renounce, because that is the word Jesus used, to renounce something is to formally declare your abandonment of, your claim on, your right to, or your possession of something. Let me say that again. To renounce something is to formally declare your abandonment of, your claim on, your right to, or your possession of, that thing, whatever it may be. And understanding that is key to understanding what Jesus is trying to get at here. It's a strong word. And it's one that we shouldn't take lightly. We shouldn't be shocked at this, should we? Because as we saw last week, Jesus isn't messing around. He's getting straight to the point and using pretty hard terminology to make his point. You see, we often live in this uh, in these bubbles of life where we build our own kingdoms. We, you know, we strive to earn our money. We strive to, 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 to buy the house, to get the car, to you know, furnish the house, to buy the clothes, to go on holiday. But then we become very protective of all this stuff. Very protective. And then we do our uh, often can fall into the trap of doing this Christian token gesture by stepping out of that bubble to do all of these church activities, all these Christian activities, before they're retreating back into the comfort of our lives. And we can also run the risk of unknowingly falling into the trap of placing these things within our bubble higher than we place Christ. And herein lies Jesus' challenge to 
to those he was speaking to in the crowds and every person who has followed ever since to us today in this room. Are you, am I, willing to hold all that we have loosely and be willing not just to give it up for the Lord if he asks, not just be willing to give up everything that we own, everything we have, everything we want, our time, our wishes, our desires, our dreams, if the Lord calls us to, but to totally renounce it all. What does that mean? It means to abandon our claim to it, to release our claim on everything that we have, to release the right that we think we have over it, over to Christ, and to release our possession of it, if the Lord is to call us to. Remember, Jesus isn't saying, you've got to give it all up. He might do. And there are references in Scripture for that. But we are looking at this, this idea of renouncing it. Saying, no, I have all of this stuff. It's his, not mine. Jumping ahead of myself. Now, this challenge of Jesus's to potential disciples isn't new. We've seen echoes of this as we've travelled through Luke. You may recall uh, the story of when uh, Jesus meets Simon Peter, uh, James and John returning to the shore after a night of fishing and being quite disheartened dis uh, and disappointed because they didn't catch anything. After some conversations and teaching bits and pieces, Jesus turns and says, right, go back out on shore, throw your nets out, and what happens? They haul in the biggest catch they can find, or that they've probably ever seen. Peter then falls on his knees before Jesus, repents, and Jesus says to him in Luke 5, verse 10 to 11, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men, i.e. mankind. You will catch men. And this is the thing, this is the key here. And when they had brought their boat to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. And what about the story of Levi, the tax collector? He was a tax collector. He would have had possessions. He would have had money and probably had lived a comfortable life. If you skip on just a few verses in Luke uh, Luke 5 to, uh, chapter to uh, verse 27 to 28 we read this after this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and what did Levi do? he rose left everything and followed Jesus now this all sounds pretty hardcore doesn't it? I mean they're all super, they're all super Christians those people. And I'm sure that there are some of you sitting there thinking, are you, are you really saying that I've got to give everything up to be a, a follower of Christ? I can't have any 
possessions at all? Is that what I, I really have to do? Well, just like the other two requirements, no. She's no different. Jesus is using strong terminology to make his point. And there is a very justifiable point behind it. Jesus isn't saying you can't own possessions and have nice stuff or work to better yourselves. That's not what he's saying. I hope you don't think that's what he's saying. And it would be, it would go against what we read in scripture anyway. You've got to remember what we heard here about him, uh, him with Levi and, and, and uh, uh, Peter and the others. We didn't read that they sold everything and followed. They just left everything. They left everything. It was still theirs. But they placed Christ first. And actually, I don't know if anyone, um, if any of you watched the uh, Trojan? Anyone watch the Trojan here? No? Uh, well, they depict it quite well in that. You know, Peter still has his house. He, just, he does sell the boat, but he still has his house. And they go off out with Jesus on the mission field, and they do all these things. But they, you can clearly see they still have possession. But they're placing Christ first. And place Jesus first. I mean, let's be honest, let's be really, really true, truthful here. If Jesus was saying, you've got to basically live with nothing, the ministry probably, unfortunately, would have funded. Because was it not some of the women, wealthy women, who were part of his disciples, the wider discipleship? who funded a lot of the, the mission work. So that wouldn't be congruent with what Jesus was saying if he was being literal here. But he's making the point, and that's why I said the key is the, re is the renunciation. He's not saying don't have. He's saying release your grip of it. Understand. That, or or be, yeah, be willing just to give it all away, to give it all up. If I call you to, he's challenging his listeners that anyone who wishes to follow must awaken to the truth that firstly, all you have and all you own isn't yours. It was blessed and gifted to you by God, the creator of all things. Secondly, your skills, your abilities to learn and to study in order to have all of these wonderful things and to do these incredible jobs that people do, all came from God. He's the one that blessed you with them. Does it not say in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. There is nothing that we have there is nothing we strive for, there is no desire to study, or anything like that that hasn't already been given by God first. And because they're ultimately not ours, but God's, we must hold it all lightly and be ready to give it up, or give it away, or to use it in some other capacity if God calls us to do so. 
Remember, to renounce it all is to willingly let go of your claim and your title to it. Is to willingly let go of your claim and your title to everything you own. Even your degrees or whatever training you've got. The reason the Lord gave it to you was so that you, yes, you could benefit yourself, but ultimately so that he could use you in whatever capacity you got that degree for. Remember, that's our mission field. Wherever you work, wherever you are, that's your mission field. Well, that's not fair, someone might say. Not fair that, that God is asking me to do that, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to give it all up. That's just not fair. It is when we understand that a consequence of the fall of humanity through Adam's sin has resulted in our minds and our hearts being corrupt. Our view on things are different. We see things differently because of that corruptness. We walk around in life sometimes like our own mini-gods, self-centred, self-seeking, like little magpies. I earned it. It's mine. I'm going to keep it for myself. Some of you, I'm sure, have got pictures of Gollum in your, you know, in your mind, my precious. You know, Lord of the Rings. And it is this consequence of the curse that Jesus is challenging here. You cannot be my disciple if you choose to continue with this attitude, with this mindset that the world has. Why? Fundamentally, because the grip of possession and our allure of stuff is incredibly powerful and can easily be a hook to pull us away from the attitude to discipleship that Jesus expects of us and sometimes from Jesus himself. Which is why the rich young fool struggled to, uh, to, to get over that last hurdle of surrender to Jesus and to receive his eternal life that he was so craving for. He didn't hold his possessions loosely. They had a hold in him and he struggled to let them go. What was it Jesus said? He turned, he turned down and said, Lord, Lord, I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've followed all the commandments since, since youth. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. What does Jesus say to him? You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And this is the point that we've got to hone in on. Disheartened by the saying of Jesus' words, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. See, it's the condition of his heart Jesus was trying to get to. He wasn't necessarily saying, bankrupt yourself. But he was homing in on the condition of his heart. He put all the stuff he had before Christ and what Christ called him to do and asked him to do. Life was made to be enjoyed. God doesn't want us to walk around in, you know, solitary and boring life. 
amazing sunrises and incredible scenery to enjoy if, if that was the case. Life is meant to be enjoyed. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with having a good job. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. But we must actively avoid the battle in our lives that the rich young ruler had. This struggle to hold everything loosely and give it all to the Lord is required. It's required. And as always, we look to Jesus for our example, do we not? Because there is pretty much nothing that we face that we have to go through that Jesus hasn't already gone through. Jesus does indeed model this attitude in one of the most remarkable moments of, of, of um, renunciation, where he shows the world what it's like to hold something loosely and be ready to give it all up when the when the Lord requires, when the wider Godhead, in his instance, requires. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the nights in which he was betrayed, uh, prayed two remarkable prayers that exemplified his willingness to renounce not possessions that he had, because he didn't have a great deal, so there is arguably that he did have some things, but we won't get into that. But he gave the ultimate. He was willing to sacrifice and release his claim on his human life if God called him to. Which is exactly what happened. My father, if it is possible, shows his humanity, and I love that. I love that part. If it's possible. Isn't that the same for us? Lord, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I love that, that, that aspect of what's recorded here. Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, here's the surrender. Here's the, 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 the renunciation. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And just a few verses on in verse 42, my father again if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, unless I go forward, unless I face whatever this is that I have to face, your will be done. Your will be done. And true to his word and, uh, and his dedication to God the Father, Jesus willingly surrendered to the Sanhedrin. And we know the story was falsely accused, publicly beaten, humiliated, and hung on that cross to die. And he went all through that so that we had the opportunity to sit and walk through this life free. He took our place to pay the debt we owe to God for our sin and rebellion toward him. That is the epiphany. The epiphany of renunciation, of renouncing, sorry, your life for the sake of others. That's the, that's the point, the catalyst. You can't get any more. You can't go any higher than that, than to surrender your life at God's command for the sake of others. 
Praise God Jesus didn't stay dead. Amen. Amen. And we will, we will celebrate this tonight as part of our service with, with breaking communion together. Praise God he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later and in doing so offered that, that this incredible hope and everlasting life to all who would but follow him and place their trust in him. There are still people in this room, I'm sure, who are on the fence on that. Who still have to make that decision in their own hearts. Don't delay. But learn the lessons of the last two weeks. Count the cost. Friends, surrendering to Jesus and following him will be the best decision you will ever make. I promise you. I promise you. You've got to count the cost. Because Jesus demands a high price. But it's nowhere near what he went through. And the outcome, the ultimate outcome, is ten times better than what he may ask us to do in this life. Jesus rounds this section of teaching off with really a short parable. Now there's some debate whether this should be added, this should be a standalone, whether it should have been added to the teaching that we've been looking at or not. To be honest, on me personally, I do think it fits quite nicely with what Jesus has been teaching here. But he says in verse 34, salt is good, but if it has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is, uh, and it has to be thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When Jesus says those words, you better pay attention. <laughs> right? Better pay attention. So what has this got to do with being willing to hold everything we have loosely and striving to not, uh, to not allow our possessions and ambitions to become a noose around our necks. Well, most of the salt in the region in which Jesus was ministering would come from the evaporated pools around the Dead Sea. But it wasn't pure. It wasn't pure. It contained impurities like uh, carnalite and gypsum. And if the process of separating the impurities wasn't conducted carefully, and it was, say, exposed to moisture in this warm state, it would leave the salt with a poor taste and it would be useless. And nothing could restore its flavour. Don't think of salt like our table salt. That is, that is salt in pure sense. And that doesn't lose its taste because it's a stable compound. Let's go too technical. Um, and if this happens, then Jesus carries on in verse 35 and says, it is of no use, either for the soil or the familiar pile, and it's got to be thrown away. It's useless. It loses its taste, it's useless. Now again, in the ancient world, salt was used primarily as a seasoning for food, and it was used as a preservative. But in several ancient civilizations, they did use salt as fertilizer, fertilizer, in the soil. Depending on the conditions 
It could help the earth retain water, make fields easier to plough, release minerals for plants and to, and to kill weeds, and to protect crops from disease. But it was also added to manure, because by doing so, it helped to retain more of the minerals in the manure, minerals that were beneficial as fertiliser. Science lessons, well, you know, go back to science here, or history, depending on which one you want to go to. So if the salt in its raw form was ruined in the separation process, then the, and the salt would lose its flavour and become useless in these practical applications and would need to be thrown away. So it is for us if we are not simply willing to meet and surrender to Jesus' conditions of discipleship. If we continue to allow the impurities of this world in which we live to hinder our daily walk with the Lord, then we lose our effectiveness as participants in God's mission on the earth, our discipleship will be affected, and probably more tragically, our witness potentially becomes useless to those around us. And the consequence, as we've said many times, on Judgment Day, we all have to answer to Jesus as to why we did not surrender and follow to what he taught us to, and living the life he called us to. Friends, we often hear so much about the simple yet profound act of receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour of your life because of what he did on the cross. A message that I hope was preached at this very moment throughout many churches up and down the country. I hope. This is right to do. It's fundamental to our mission on earth. But too often we can stop at just receive Christ. Just receive Christ. I'm sure many of you have been to conferences and they do, they do this big thing, just come and receive Christ. But then there's not much offering. It's good to celebrate. It's fundamental part of our, 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 our message. Come to Christ, absolutely. And we should celebrate souls saved. Praise God, Mary. Soul saved. Which is right to do. But we don't always then hear or share the now the cost of following Jesus, which is also fundamental to discipleship. Let's remember, we've got to be very careful here. We're not talking here of salvation. Salvation is through our faith and acceptance of who Christ is and what he's done for us. This is our willingness to follow the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Let's be real, the conditions of discipleship are not easy. You put it, you know, as a summary. You must hate or love less all those who you hold dear, even yourself, before you can be a disciple of God. You must be willing to take up your cross 
be willing to suffer and come after me before you can be my disciple. You must be willing to renounce, release your claim on all that you have before you can be my disciple. Not easy, but this is the whole reason that Jesus stresses the point to count the cost before you follow. And truth is sometimes can be way too high for some people. Way too high for some people. Remember, we are never alone in our salvation. And we never travel as disciples on this earth alone. We have the wonderful truth of God's word. We have the comfort and incredible gift of the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us and, uh, and, and transforming us and ticking us off sometimes if we need to tick it off. And we have each other. We have each other. Don't underestimate us to make that decision. Amen? Yeah. I think I lost about two, uh, two pounds up there. <laughs> just the band just get themselves prepared. Now, we don't know, I'm just going to leave you with a quote that Matt referenced last week, uh, which I, I thought was great. But it really does summarise everything we've been looking at. Okay? Now, we don't know who said it, so I'm just going to claim that Matt said it. And that he's full of wisdom. Right? This is his wisdom that we share in here. Right? And, it, and, it, and it's this. Christianity is the strangest exclusive club. The joining fee is nothing, praise God. The annual fee is everything. Maybe not somebody praise God there. The annual fee is everything. And its sole purpose is for the benefit of non-members. Amen? Amen. Should we worship?